Hi, this is Matt, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass. My guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is George Jackson. Um, George was IBMA Momentum Instrumentalist of the Year in 2022. He is an awesome fiddle player, and I have it on good authority. He was a competitive Highland dancer until the age of 21. But neither of those things are what we're going to talk about today because George has been working with Tristan Scroggins on a project to record 100 old-time tunes in a day and release them. And that is a fascinating thing to talk about. So, George, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, Yes, it's true. I I did Highland dancing for a long time, but uh, that's all I'll say. (laughs) Wonderful. I'm not going to ask you about that, so don't worry. Um, I mean, the, the obvious first question is why did you record 100 fiddle tunes in the space of a day? I know um, it's 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 an absolutely crazy prospect and uh, something that I personally probably wouldn't have ever thought to do myself. But um, we're all very lucky that uh, Tristan Scroggins uh, has much more interesting ideas than uh, than I do. Uh, so I guess he sent round a message to a bunch of friends and was like. I want to record 100 tunes in a day. And we were all just like, that's crazy. Why would we do that? Um, and he was looking for people to to maybe go in on it with him um, financially and, and otherwise. And I, I, it didn't take me long to sort of figure out that that would actually be a really, um, a really great project to be involved in um, because both Tristan and I run these like lessons platforms and uh, a list of a hundred jammable tunes is, is a really valuable resource. So, um, so I just decided I was, I guess I was uh, the, uh, the only crazier, crazy, slightly less crazy person, but, uh, but crazy enough to jump on board with, with Tristan with the idea. Um, So we started working on it together um but uh the secret the secret is that we didn't quite record it all in one day um i think it was about an a week before we would were going to do the big session and i was like you know i really think that we should try and get a head start on this stuff because that's so many tunes i started doing the math i was like if it takes us 5 minutes to record um one tune and we had, you know, we have five minutes in between or whatever. I started like doing the math on that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is a really long time. Um, so I think we got together like a night before, um, or maybe it was, uh, two nights before the big session. And we just sort of got as many done, um, at our engineer's house as we could, which I think we ended up doing 22 that first night. And then seventy eight in the big session, which is still an absurd number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I read somewhere that you recorded um, that that big session at James Key's house in his living room. We did, yeah. Um, James was uh, was gracious enough, I guess, to to think that this was a fun idea, also, and uh, you know, was down for us to use his space um, and. And we, you know, something that, that Tristan really wanted to uh, have be a part of this project was 
have it be kind of a uh, organic like house party jam you know not a sterile recording environment so it really was still functioning as a house james's roommates were uh coming and going and um you know people were cooking food and in the space we were recording and um friends were coming and going playing a few tunes you know dropping in playing a few tunes heading out again um all day long so there's there's tons of sort of nashville um picker friends that are peripherally um playing along as well and it's it's interesting because these are like particularly it's old time tunes isn't it rather than rather yeah. than bluegrass that's the angle they've gone for and there's such a you know a strong thread of that music being social music anyway um to a Absolutely. certain extent it's you know, fundamental it's, yeah and mm-hmm. so there's something about i mean these they sound i've heard the first 20 which you put out so far and they sound great it doesn't sound like you know somebody's stuck a mic up and tape to jam in a pub or somebody's kitchen it's sound you know it's they, they sound great and it's balanced and it's you know, it's clean and it's all there, but it's definitely got a kind of group feel about it. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly it's not the sort of thing that I've ever uh, done it in, in a recording session before where there's literally only one chance because um, we just didn't have time, you know, to, I mean, I think a couple of tunes we might've like, there might've been a big enough mistake where we started it again or whatever, but it, that was very rare. Most of the time it was like, any mistake was was kind of like, well, that's going to be on there. So there's plenty of uh, funny bits, but it's you know it's funny when in that sort of setting, in a sort of old time jam setting, you don't really hear most of that. You know, it comes and goes so quickly, and it's just part of the the group din. You know, that's happening, and no one really hears that in a jam session either. You know, it's just um, it's just part of it, and it makes it more authentic sounding, I guess. Well, it's really interesting because people like me who are learning to play instruments, like, you know, one of the biggest hurdles people have to get over to go to a jam is like this fear of making mistakes and getting it wrong. And, you know, and and that's not the point at all, is it? But that's, you know, so many of us are afraid of that. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but of course, the only way to learn is to make mistakes, you know, um, so... Yeah, uh, I, I often encourage students that, that are working with me, um, yeah, that you just, you have to put yourself in those situations um, and get used to making mistakes in front of people because uh, that's the only way it's going to happen. It's the only way you're going to move forward. And like, there's a, obviously there's, a, there's an educational element to this. You're talking about putting them on your sort of teaching site and Tristan's putting mandolin versions of them on his as well. And was there a sort of particular reason with the old time? Do you, does it do? You, and I don't know enough about this, but is is there plenty of opportunity out there to hear decent educational recordings of bluegrass tunes and modern recordings of bluegrass tunes? Is finding old time stuff a bit more difficult? That's an interesting. Um, gosh, this is a whole. There's so many directions uh, to go with this question. Um, I think there's less tunes uh that are jam standards in bluegrass because people um spend a lot of time learning to solo over those tunes 
and soloing is a big, um, you know, it takes a lot of time, you know. So when you're focusing on playing old time music, you're focusing on on the groove and um, and the bowings and and all of that sort of stuff, but the tune is the tune, and once you've learnt that, you tend to move on and learn a new tune. Um, and you know, while you're working on all of these these groove elements or bowing elements or whatever, and moving on and learning a new tune can really help you come back to the one that you were learning before with a new lens too. Um, I guess uh, part of the barrier to entry for old time music specifically is that um, when you're new to playing old time music, uh, I think it can be really daunting to know which tunes to learn. And then when you go find those tunes or, you know, people are like, go listen to Tommy Gerald or go listen to these, these old fiddlers. The, the recordings that you're listening to are kind of challenging to listen to when you're not yeah, used, yeah. used to finding the the gold in it, you know, they're not like at up to modern recording standards, you know, like the playing isn't smooth. It's rough, um, you know, and I think there's plenty of examples in bluegrass music of like really beautiful sounding um, uh, standard jammers. Um, I think that's something that Tristan and I took a lot of um, inspiration from is uh, the series that Scott Vestal did, Bluegrass 95, 96, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many great standards. Both me and him sort of grew up listening to those recordings and they are a really great example of like, wow, you know, if you want to hear a good version of Forked Deer um, with Aubrey Haney just slaying the fiddle, you know, like that, you know, there's going to be, all of those standards on that series um, and are beautifully recorded. Um, I think that we wanted to sort of create um, a, a lower barrier of entry, like some nice sounding recordings that people who aren't used to listening to these challenging, scratchy fiddle recordings, which I really love. Mm. I personally really love them, but it took me a long time to learn to love them. I didn't love them at first. You know, I I definitely was like, this doesn't sound very good, you know, and it's hard to learn from. Um, so when people are like, oh, I've, there's an old-time jam in my community and, you know, I want to go along and I want to learn some tunes and maybe they don't want to listen to some scratchy fiddlers um, because they're not kind of used to that yet. They haven't sort of found their way into that yet maybe this is a, a better way in or, or um, a nice way in. Uh, there's some nice recordings. They sound good. Um, it's all of the jam standards that you're going to need, probably more than, than um, you'll be able to get through <laughs> in a while. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not all of them are going to be played at your jam and maybe, uh, but there'll be enough crossover. And so I think that was, um, I think that kind of uh, covers some of the some of the directions I wanted to go with that question. Well, yeah, yeah. no, it's really it's quite there's quite a lot of stuff in there to unpick, and just you know, well, one of the things I hadn't thought about is, of course, there are lots of versions of the bluegrass tunes because every new generation of pickers comes along wants to put their stamp on them because there is so much improvisation, so you can take them anywhere, so you can listen to yeah, totally, and, and and 
and also because like um uh, you know, a lot of the the players will be playing the same tunes that have already been recorded. You know, it's, mm. it's Cherokee Shuffle, Forked Deer, you know, like Gold Rush. There'll be all of these, um, you know, and there's a big list of bluegrass standard tunes, as we know. Like, it's not a small list, but um, but they do tend to get recycled because people want to put their spin on it. Um, and, and I guess that, you know, there is a... a a core sort of like um, collection of old time standards as well, which is kind of what we were getting at with the like, here's 100, you know, um, and people are, you know, likewise, I guess, putting their spin on it or re-recording those. Um, but they're maybe a little more scattered, but certainly something that, um, certainly something that is valued. It's a little bit of a joke that I tell um and my performances a lot of the time is uh something that's really valued in old time music is um uh where in in most uh settings you know like people will sort of be like play something we know um and old time music you know the sort of cool kid thing to do is like you know play something we don't know Mm. you know if you're playing like you're really cool if you're playing these like really obscure interesting versions as no one's no one's heard before so um that can be kind of intimidating um yeah and that is that as it took me a while to get my head around when i started listening to this music to sort of understand what the differences between bluegrass and old time were and the obvious thing is that you know old time feels much more to me like irish music where the melodic instruments play the tune mm-hmm. many times everybody else backs them up and and you might put tunes together in sets, but you're not kind of wandering off improvising around them and go around the circle and everybody takes a break. It's much more of a collective. And it's like you were saying before, it's much more about a groove and a sort of collective feel than individual playing, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although certainly one of my um, uh, pet subjects is, you know, like I love to challenge the notion that old time and bluegrass music are fundamentally that different, like they're kind of the same um, in a lot of ways. I mean, look, there's lots that is different about them, but there's lots that's the same. And Mm -hmm. especially when you get back to a certain time in, um, in music before um, bluegrass was like a named genre, um, you know, there's plenty of uh, banjo players that were playing with picks in old time music. You know, I think the sort of revival in the 60s and 70s really brought about the claw hammer sort of, um, you know, this is this is what old time music is. But, you know, there's lots of picked banjo. There's lots of, um, uh, you know, like kind of flat picked guitar backup. You know, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff in there that's... Um, it's really similar, and um, when you listen to like Michael Cleveland slaying a awesome bluegrass fiddle tune, uh, it's all about groove, and that's you know that's kind of an old time uh, aesthetic, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, there's lots that I there's lots that I like to kind of I don't know. Just um, I guess I like to to challenge the idea that they're very clearly defined as like separate things when. There certainly was a time when um, 
when that that was less so. And, you know, because bluegrass was, wasn't a named genre and was um, only just sort of beginning, the only fiddlers that were around were fiddlers that played old-time music. So, like, mm. you know, uh, bluegrass music kind of absorbed old-time music as a part of it. Um, uh, you know, like Kenny Baker, when you listen to some of his records, you know, he doesn't solo on, on a lot of the tunes. He just plays the tune over and over. That's mm. old-time music, you know. Um, why is that not old-time music? It, it kind of is. Um, yeah, so, and, and one of the funny things that, that I notice when I go to old-time music conventions is that um, uh, it's become really popular to kind of play really early bluegrass at those places, a way in which, like, a, a, a type of bluegrass music that you don't really hear at bluegrass festivals so often, um, you know, you, you get this funny thing where um, maybe people are playing bluegrass music a little closer to how early Bill Monroe um, and Stanley Brothers, etc., did at old-time music conventions and then at IBMA and bluegrass music conventions uh, the sort of like very cool thing to do is to play claw hammer banjo and um, play old time fiddle tunes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so things start getting real muddled up. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And I was going to ask because like, and maybe you've unpicked a bit of that there and maybe this question doesn't make so much sense, but I'm curious as to whether there are the instrumental roles differ slightly between what people think of as bluegrass and old time. Cause just the idea of Tristan playing the melodies you know, like, is is there traditionally a melodic role for um, an instrument like mandolin? And like, would the guitar be generally a backup instrument in old time? And is there is there a sort of stylistic difference in the way people play stuff beyond the ornamentation and the the rhythms and things? Is there like the actual role of the instruments? Does that differ that much? Yeah, slightly. Um, I, I did a little live stream with Tristan the other day when we released the uh, album, actually, and. Um, uh, it was so fun playing with him, and we were sort of talking about how he um, how he plays the mandolin, like what's the what the function is in an old time setting, and he's kind of like playing bits of the melody and kind of playing bits of chords. He's not really chopping so much, kind of shuffling along, but like catching bits of the melody in different octaves. Really strikes me as like almost the role of a banjo player in an old time music setting. Um, because like, you know, the classic sort of situation when you're playing with a fiddle and a banjo is that the banjo is kind of playing the melody, but they're also kind of playing the chords and it's somewhere in between. And that's what really makes it cool is, mm. um, you know, uh, it's neither just purely melodic or purely backup. It's somewhere in, in the middle. It's, it's called, it can be chordal. It can be rhythmic and melodic at the same time. Um, and that's really complimentary. And I think that's um, kind of how Tristan plays um, uh, during this uh, Old Time 100 um, session. Uh, uh, as for the other instruments, yeah, like guitar generally is is just playing chordal backup, uh, which is kind of what the guitar was doing in uh, bluegrass music when it first uh, mm. arrived. You know, it wasn't until much later that uh, guitars started playing 
uh, solos. Um, so whether or not you even want to call guitar soloing traditional bluegrass or not, um, you know, is a debate, and that, that furthers my hesitation uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, bluegrass is old time and old time is bluegrass. Um, uh, you know, but bass is a big part of um, old time music these days, but uh, you, you really hear it. Um, sorry, I with my New Zealand accent, rare, <laughs> rarely. <laughs> I kind of feel like I need to, um, not, not really R E A L L Y R A R E L Y really hear, um, uh, based on like any sort of source recordings. Um, so it's kind of a newer thing, maybe, maybe in, in, in some ways kind of brought in by, um, you know, the popularity of like bluegrass ensembles and, and, um, you know, so you can, it's interesting to see how, you know, old time sometimes gives this impression that it's like this timeless, like, you know, um, archaic style, but you know, it changes, it, it's modernized too. Uh, um, and I think bass is, is part of that. Um, mandolin, you know, there's not a ton of mandolin in, in old time recordings, but you know, if you listen to the classic Ed Haley recordings, his wife, Ella Haley is playing mandolin a lot, a lot of the time. And there's other examples of mandolin playing in old time music too, just like there is with like, you know, piano and, mm. and accordion in old time music, um, uh, which, you know, you, you don't really see at old time conventions. Um, and yeah, uh, the fiddle, it's generally just playing the melody. Um, there's definitely little bits of improvisation that, that kind of happen, um, you know, variations. Um, am I missing anything from no, no, uh, makes the sense. instrument makes, list here? Makes sense. Yeah, we kind of talked about that sort of rhythm mm-hmm. melody style. I guess it's an interesting thing, if given that old-time music was often social music for people to dance to, and that's kind of what these yeah. tunes were for, I guess you just would play with the instrument you might have three fiddles and two banjos you might like this idea of a bluegrass band being five instruments with specific roles is a relatively mm-hmm. new thing but with an old time you might end up with four fiddle players or you know two banjo players and and i probably was rare to have a bass and so if you had one you had one but you didn't kind of go well we can't do yeah. this without one you just whoever was there played for whoever wanted to dance yeah that this actually gets one of the things that i i really think is a distinction between old time and music. What, what you kind of mentioned with um, old time music being like primarily social and and dance um, oriented um, music, uh, really like the um, when bluegrass music kind of came along, it, it's like the advent of of radio. You know, it's like all of a sudden the function of the music is to be entertainment that's purely for uh, listening uh, across, you know, broadcast. And um, so things needed to be, be changed slightly. You know, you uh, you had to make things maybe a little snappier and flashier because, you know, people are sitting there listening and um, they're not dancing or they're not making music with you. Um, they're just listening. So, um you know, maybe you're not going to play the tune <laughs> 20 times around. Uh, you're going to play uh, three or four times and um, you're going to 
use more variation or, you know, like the sort of beginnings of soloing or, you know, the banjo is going to have a feature. Mm. Um, that's the way I, I see like old time music kind of morphing into something that became bluegrass um, is sort of the primarily, or sorry, the, the, the function um, of, of the music, uh, the primary function of the music kind of like shifting focus and, and, then you get this kind of um, funny thing that's that's happening now, which is um, old time music as performance music, right? So like when I'm performing with my band, Tall Poppy String Band, or um, you know other like Foghorn String Band are, are playing uh, a show for people, they have to make old time music entertaining in a way, and um, that moves it away from its sort of like social and dance function. Um, and, it's, and you know, that's where, it, that's why it starts being like, well, like this is kind of bluegrass now, right? Because the function is what, what became bluegrass, you know, uh, how do you keep people's attention interested um, when they're not dancing or not engaging and playing music with you? Yeah. Um so that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and you know, they say it sort of makes me laugh that whole kind of debate about whether people should dance at bluegrass gigs or not, or like if the music move, makes right. you want to move your feet, move your feet. But no, we're all, we're all yeah. sitting in our seats and we can't see if you're going to have to dance. And it's like it's such a like such a full circle conversation to have for this music that sort of came out of the need for people to have music to dance to because there wasn't the radio or records, or if you wanted music, you needed people who could play music. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's kind of why bluegrass music is like generally considered not, not particularly danceable um, because it, you know, like its function was, you know, at least, you know, in the early bluegrass bands, um, you know, its function really was uh, entertainment on the radio or, um, you know, on record um, recorded music. Um but uh but yeah you also get this funny thing now where um you know like the sort of danceable types of bluegrass music which is like the jam grass right mm. um and and others you know they're bringing these sort of other danceable elements and fusing it with with bluegrass and bluegrass lineups um yeah it's it's kind of like bringing reconnecting the old time part but like through um for a different uh, avenue, perhaps um, you know, because you've got um, other other types of dance music influence coming in, you know, whether it's like rock and roll or mm. um, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, and it, we, one of the things you touched on there was about we talked about the sort of bluegrass tunes and old time tunes. And when I first started learning tunes, the thing I found mm. most frustrating which in the in the end I realized was liberating, was working out what the actual tune is. Because if you want like a jazz standard, there's probably mm -hmm. some original sheet music around from whenever it was written or it came from like a Gershwin show or whatever. So there's like, mm -hmm. it sort of is a version of the melody. But trying to look, like you talk about those um, like Bluegrass 95, 96, 97 records as a good source for fairly straight versions of the tunes. But, you know, 
I'd be really interested to know, like, A, how you chose the 100 tunes you chose, but also did you, like, was there some pressure to choose, like, air quotes that nobody can see because this is a podcast, like, correct versions if people are going to learn these and play them at a jam? Are they learning versions that, you know, I find that fascinating. Yeah, totally. No, this is a great um, question. Uh, When Tristan and I were sort of uh, conceiving of this whole idea, uh, Tristan basically emailed a bunch of his friends. Um, uh, I I love the way that Tristan's brain works. Um, And, you know, he really wanted to uh, to check in with a bunch of people. He created this like uh, Google survey where basically he just got, uh, he asked people all around the country, you know, like what are common tunes played at your local jam? And they sort of filled it in. And he basically picked the 100 tunes from sort of this data that he collected, this uh, sort of amateur um, statistics data, um, you know, collection that, uh, um, yeah. So, so he sort of came to me with this list and then, um, I was like looking at this list and I was like, okay, so we've got a, the name of a tune, um, you know, big Sciota or 8th of January or something. And it's like, which version are we going to play of this tune? You know, because, um, well, A, we're trying to make uh, a collection of, of tunes that people can take to their jam session. So maybe we want to sort of, keep it towards uh, standard um, versions. But then but then also, you know, like there was certainly times when I was like, well, I really like this other version that's slightly out of the list. So then, you know, we could maybe potentially be a little bit of play, a little bit of a tastemaker and like encourage people to play these other versions. Um because if they are learning that from us, then maybe we can also slightly influence, <laughs> um, you know. So, uh, so it was definitely trying to balance. But I, I took on the job of essentially uh, assigning like a source recording reference to each of the one hundred tunes. So I went through and like picked a version of the tune that we were essentially going to like base our version from or you know like have as a reference point at the very least um i'm most of the time i tried to sort of hew that close to um a version that people would um likely play um you know so not like the most obscure like you know extra bar you know or you know three four part extra you know like Mm. weird (laughs) kentucky version of of a tune but um something that you know like maybe if there is a version of of a tune um you know that you hear people jam a lot at their at, at these local jams um where did where did that version come from you know where did that um what's a version of that 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 sort of sounds like it was um passed on from so i I tried to sort of mostly do that but there's certainly some outliers where i was like well but i like this version so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna um make that but yeah i think um Yeah, I I think that it's, uh, 
yeah, we're, we're playing a little bit of tastemaker, trying, trying to also sort of keep it recognizable. Um, but also, you know, if people use it as a, as a jumping off point and then they go and learn a version that they prefer or, um, you know, uh, it encourages them to be like, well, that's not how it sounds at my jam. So like, I'm going to ha- look into this, you know, I don't know, that cannot, that can all only be good stuff. I, I think. Yeah, no, it's, I think it is all really interesting because it's, you know, it's, it, and it's that idea that um, even just with improvising slightly around the melody, you can create a version of the tune that is yours and you probably play it slightly differently each time you play it. And, and all of that is really liberating. Um, yeah. And with the, the kind of, fixing the harmony of these tunes because there's there's probably several ways you can harmonize some of them like even just even at a bluegrass jam just going and playing mm-hmm. something like old joe clark whether people mm-hmm. like you know if you're playing an a whether people play a g in certain places or a d behind some stuff it's you know mm-hmm. it's not always the same and I, in old time music it's e or the e chord um and never the g yeah and because there's that, there is sort of, we were talking before about how often you'd have a bunch of melody instruments and maybe the, you know, guitar is a relatively new thing um, compared to a lot of these instruments. And the idea, there's, I've had conversations on the podcast before, this idea that once guitar came along, it slightly fixed the harmonic structure of things in the way that we're a bit more amorphous before and a little bit more nebulous. Mm-hmm. And you could, and like you said, with the banjo playing sort of chords and melody and often things mm-hmm. are in things can feel slightly modal this doesn't always have to be a lockdown thing the harmony of a tune but as soon as mm-hmm. you put chords behind it and i find that really interesting as well and when you sit down presumably without hours to rehearse these tunes together do you tend to find you're on the same page with them pretty quickly yeah we would uh we would sort of have this like very quick routine but before recording each tune which was um, I would sort of like play the reference recording so that we kind of know what version we're trying to deal with um, and then we'd have a quick discussion about chords. And and absolutely one of the things that I find really fascinating about chords is um, there's no one right way to harmonize something, right? Because um, when you play a note, it can be a part of a chord or a color on top of a chord in any number of, of ways. Um, so uh, we would often sort of choose, um, there would be a discussion particularly between um, uh, the bassist Eli Broxham and um, Amy Alvey, who was playing guitar, and uh, and Frank Evans, who was playing banjo, um, and, and Tristan too, uh, on the mandolin, of course. Least... Uh, least input from me playing the <laughs> fiddle um i was just kind of <laughs> concentrating on playing the melodies but um but they would sort of have a have a bit of a discussion um what chords are we going to play behind this you know and and there's there's various structures uh that are really common in old time music Miz- missouri rules um which is kind of like a series of you know one four one five um uh that that's really common that you know like sort of in traditional like old time fiddling from from that region they'll just play behind any tune um (laughs) you know um it's kind of become this uh this 
particular style, which is which is really fun and cool. It's a cool sound. So they would be like, okay, it's Missouri rules in the B part. Um, we're going to go to the the four chord here, or you know, um, yeah. So we'd have to make quick decisions. Basically, are we going to go to the six minor, or are we going to go to the four? You know, those are often interchangeable. We're going to go to the five or the two minor here. Mm. Are we going to, um, you know, like are we going to try and keep it like super traditional sounding, where you know. Um, there's generally just like a five chord um, or a four chord, but, um, uh, you know, like in more sort of modern recordings, you might use like a flat seven or, um, you know, a, a six minor or a two minor uh, as more sort of colorful chords. Um, and uh, yeah, so we would just kind of make that, make those calls. And, and sometimes we went to the traditional option. Sometimes we went with the, the uh, more modern option and it was it, we had a hundred tunes so so you know like it it runs the gamut we mm. were just like you know are we feeling bored right now do we want to add some minor chords yeah. in for, for fun you know um have we been holding the a chord for too long <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's also interesting just with um like with these tracks um the first 20 that are out now there's bits of vocal on there as well but it's very much vocal that kind of comes out of the ensemble rather than somebody on a mic singing a lead vocal. Yeah, totally. A lot of these tunes, the, a lot of these melodies um, also have song elements, you know. Um, obviously, like, it's not song in the way that we think of, uh, you know, singer-songwriter songs, mm. but, um, you know, like there's verses to a lot of these tunes and um, it's really fun to you know, we didn't actually have anyone set up with a vocal mic. So when you hear the vocals come in, it's usually Frank or Amy kind of um, shouting verses out. Um, it's coming through their instrumental microphones. But that just adds to the um, to the sort of jammy um, aesthetic and um, the sort of authentic, uh, you know, jam session that it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. I, it. It sounds great that way. And I think it's what I like about these recordings is they've got a kind of collective energy and a groove. And it's, you know, it's um, the way they're recorded really suits it and the way they're played. And I remember talking to Tristan about this project quite a while ago when I interviewed him for something else. And, mm. um, you know, he's sort of saying that they were recorded quickly and there's, you know, he didn't necessarily know all the tunes as they were being recorded. And and I think I've, I think I've heard him say somewhere that like you took a break from them and then came back and listened to them and was sort of surprised how good they were. Yeah, definitely. Because they do sound I mean, great. Uh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, we were certainly pretty surprised, <laughs> you know, when we came back around and we finally, like these, <laughs> one thing that uh, we've come to learn, which, you know, maybe we should have uh, known is that like uh, 100 tunes is a lot of, <laughs> digital material and it's a lot of money to produce that many tracks right mm. so um uh there was a long time where like we'd basically paid for the initial session and we kind of put it on the back burner and um you know we just had these like i think uh jake stardew who was recording it just had the tape rolling the whole time you know so we just had these massive long audio files um that weren't cut up into no the 100 tunes that they were. Um, so we had to get Jake to sort of go through and, and make uh, rough cuts of all of them, you know, identify where the start and finish of 
any um, tuners. Uh, and so then we, we got those rough cuts back and yeah, you're know, sort of listening through them. Well, you know, this sort, as I said before, you know, we're only doing about one take maybe every, um, every 30 or something with, with, uh, stop one and, and give it another go or something. But, um, but you know, these are coming and going so quickly and, uh, they all just sort of blend into one and, and you're never really sure whether or not, uh, it's sounding that good, I guess. Um, but, you know, like it feels good in a jam sort of setting, but yeah. like you're not sure what it's going to sound like as a recording. Um, but we were certainly pleasantly surprised. And I guess, you know, we we hired some great musicians. So, um, you know, uh, I think um, Frank Evans, the banjo player, such a great musician, really good friend of mine. Um, he's the only musician that actually stayed the course plays on all 100 of the tracks. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, there was one tune that I hadn't learned very well and um, Rafe Stefanini played that by himself because he was there. And um, and so I'm on 99 and um, Frank's on 100. And I think Tristan um, uh, played some bass on some and, you know, Casey Campbell played some mandolin on some. So um, uh, he's not playing mandolin on all 100 but um but uh yeah frank frank managed to to beat us all across the line <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be really interesting to talk a little bit about um the educational element and the kind of so we talked a lot about um you know stylistic stuff and and the music and the process but i'm really interested in because you know you like invested this time and this money in making these things about where they're going to sit and what you know how people will interact with them because they're there as you know people can go and just listen to them and that's great but there's so much more mm -hmm. isn't it there? there's video content and sort of transcriptions and, and like ways people can actually use this to learn these tunes totally yeah yeah i think the the educational element is is fundamental to this project like that's the that's the bedrock that we we're building this on you know so we saw this sort of project as um as something that would be really valuable to people uh, looking to to know what tunes to learn, because that is such a um, uh, overwhelming um, uh, thing to come come to when you're just starting <laughs> out in old time music. It's you know like there's all of these tunes, and which ones do you learn, and where do you learn them from? Um, I, I think. Um, you know we're, we're so uh it's it's so amazing these days that you know we have access to things like you know streaming music on spotify or youtube or whatever um but you know back in the day at least you just had to learn what you had access to mm. um now when you say that you're going to learn old time music you have access to literally everything in your pocket so that's overwhelming you know like it's just so daunting sometimes to like, where do you start? You know? Um, so we kind of thought, you know, this, this is a great, great thing for, for people who want to know where to start. Like, well, here's a list of 100. That's going to keep you busy for a while. And, you know, I, I don't know if people will learn all 100 of these, but like if they learn five or 10 and it starts them off and they discover, um, 
some other recordings from there or some other tunes or versions or or whatever um that's great you know um so yeah like we're we're we'll um release all of this stuff publicly eventually it's going to take us a while um we're sort of re- releasing it in five volumes um of 20 tracks um as we sort of get them produced um but on our patreon pages we have um you know like we're, we're um doling out like five new tracks every month uh to subscribers there so there's um as of this month 50 tracks available and they're in in a like rough edit um uh like format rather than like mixed and mastered like the first 20 are um eventually you know like we'll we'll get them all uh mixed and mastered uh but that just takes uh time and money and um we haven't you know quite <laughs> got that all there yet so uh, you know we're doling them doling it out um in little bits uh to our patreon pages where uh producing video content like I recorded myself playing these tunes all 100 of them um on my iPhone sort of in an overhead position so that people can see my left hand and my right hand and maybe get ideas on like how to use the bow and um you know where my where my fingers are going down and like how I'm double stopping or or whatever uh whatever they might find interesting um, so, you know, there's all that video content that comes along with it. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I've just released the first video of that publicly on my YouTube channel as well. So, you know, I will be sort of doling out bits of that publicly as we go as well. Um, and, uh, and then also, you know, we're writing out like music notation and tablatures, um, so that if that's something that is important to the way that you learn and, and that you would make things easier for you. And I've always been like a strong encourager of uh, ear learning, you mm-hmm. know, learning tunes by ear for bluegrass music and old time music or any sort of folk music. Um, but, you know, there's certainly times where, you know, having a look at the sheet music to know, give you an idea about maybe bowing or, you know, what notes are coming in if you're finding it difficult to, to work out a particular passage or something, all of that stuff's there. So um, we're sort of trying to uh, have as much educational content from this as um, as people could ever imagine. <laughs> and so the best places for people to come to find this stuff, is it, I presume, your Patreon page for fiddle versions and Tristan's for mandolin versions? Totally, yeah. Um yeah, and if you're if you're not a, a a fiddle player or a mandolin player, you know, um, either one. So you know, like there'll still be stuff on on these um, on these Patreon pages that um, that are is, are totally applicable. You know, I have uh, music notated, like written out versions um, that can be you know used or um, you know. Uh, you can slow down any of these tunes and um, on YouTube and, um, you know, learn them flat to, on, on your flat pick guitar or, or whatever. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Cool. And presumably that there is kind of people can come buy them on Bandcamp or wherever as well to, to buy the tunes. Yeah. So, um, you know, like we, we sort of 
have all of that stuff available to patrons um, on our Patreon pages uh, for $5. That's the sort of barrier to entry uh, for any of the old time 100 stuff. Um, but if you, you know, like not doing that sort of subscription stuff um, and you'd want to just buy volume one, um, it's available on Bandcamp. It's also available anywhere, you know, like um, on all the streaming music and stuff. And um, I guess, you know, it's a little bit the honors system and, and, you know, like we're just trying to get it out to as many people that it would be helpful to as possible but if you know it's in your price range and it's in your um, and you're getting something out of it, then um, you know maybe subscribe to Patreon for a month or two and um, or, or uh, buy it off Bandcamp. You know um, if if you're finding value in it, that's yeah, that's where we're sort of going with it. Cool. I mean, just listening to them, I've been listening to them sort of this week. They've been in my head as I've been wandering around doing things and. There's some awesome. some tunes in there that I didn't know, lots of tunes I didn't know, and it certainly made me want to learn some of them. Um, so yeah, and it's I think that point you made about uh, about how much stuff there is in the world, and like you know the possibility the, anything that curates a selection of things for us, I think is becoming yeah. more and more valuable because, and that's you know one of the traditional roles of a teacher is to you know you can go on any site totally. on YouTube wherever there's endless things about learning how to play your instrument but then it's up to you to find the meaningful ones and having somebody just guide you and go look here's a selection of tunes here's some versions of these tunes and here's how to play them is you know it's like it's a really invaluable thing because you could flounder for hours and weeks and months and years on your own looking for this stuff and i think it's i think it's great to have you know a hand-picked selection absolutely and you know like even the other end of that is, is um, you know, with the access to everything that we have access to, you know, you could end up going on finding some things that, that you really like that no one else knows. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, like here's a list of tunes that like we're pretty sure like, you know, most of these are going to be known at, at like a lot of jams, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a curated list of like, hey, um, whether you're in, UK or the US or New Zealand, um, you know, a lot of these tunes are shared. And if you're an old time musician, um, and honestly, like, as I sort of talked about earlier, um, you know, old time music kind of being part of the fabric of bluegrass music, you know, part of what uh, went into, you know, one of the ing- main ingredients um, in, in the development of bluegrass music. Um, a lot of these tunes are, also bluegrass tunes or tunes that are played in bluegrass music. And, um, and, uh, you know, if you're interested in, uh, finding out where these tunes came from, you know, um, that, that this is also, you know, that it's kind of digging deeper into, you know, the roots of bluegrass. And there's a whole, I mean, you know, there's a whole other conversation you can go off on that route and talk about, you know, the tune and then some of the sort of, British, Scots, Irish history of some of it and the same tunes having different names and there's a whole, you know, you could go on for hours and I find all that really interesting. Um, but it's been really cool listening to them and I'm definitely going to learn some and it's just, it's been really interesting talking about them. Thanks for coming on. That's awesome, Matt. Yeah, this was a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. 
Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collins Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collinsguitars.com and find out why.